0: Welcome to the Sufi Reverberations podcast, where each week, God willing, you will be able to hear a poem, a story, a meditation, and a musical interlude that give expression to one Sufi's perspective concerning the mystical dimension of Islam. My name is Anab Whitehouse, and I will be your host. Although I am not a sheikh, nonetheless, I did have the opportunity to spend 16 years in the company of a Sufi saint of the 20th century and by the grace of God, was able to gain a few insights into the nature of the Sufi mystical path through that association. So, without further delay, let's proceed to the essential contents of this episode. The title of the following poem is The Supreme Station. It was written by Sheikh Ahmad al-Alawi and appears in the book A Sufi Saint of the Twentieth Century by Martin Lings. O thou who understandest not my words, why speakest thou against me? Thou art empty of the Spirit, nor knowest the divinity. Wert thou acquainted with my state, thou wouldst admit mine excellence, wouldst see me amongst humankind as a sun shining on creation. My Lord hath granted my prayer, fulfilled my needs. He guided me, now hath robed me, in robes of his beatitude, hath quenched my thirst from a rare cup, with draft more precious than the elixir, and raised me to a high state loftier than the Pleiades. If thou seekest me, O saint, question thou the Lord of me. Look for me above all heights, it may be thou wilt light upon me. Exalted, rare, secret, and strange, are such as I, for I have found the buried treasure that was mine. All things lie hidden here within me. But thou, what knowest thou of my states, who hast no knowledge of the elect? Thou thinkest within me is a void. Think as thou wilt, since the beloved is mine, I look not to the world. Whatever my detractors' purpose in their opposition to me, my heart is mine, remaineth mine, my senses do I give to them. Since all my days are now unclouded, I count not woes as others count them, who knoweth God, were he to lose the entire world, would need no solace. The empty soul, the opaque of heart, hath eyes but for this fleeting life. He rusheth blindly into error to amass something in this world, nor looketh TO THE FATED ENDS OF ALL THINGS, NOR TO HIS DEATH NEARNESS, NOR FOLLOWETH ANY PERFECT MAN, BUT HATH NO OUTLET FROM TRANSGRESSION, FIRM FIXED IN HIS CONTENTIOUSNESS, for ever warring AGAINST GOD. MAY OUR LORD GRANT MY PRAYER THAT I TURN TOWARDS HIM EVER, BE EVER WELCOME, SHIELD ME ALWAYS AND SHIELD ALL MOHAMMED'S PEOPLE. And let thy beauty flow over in beatitude, as endlessly as worshippers, as endlessly as saints invoke it. Upon the noblest of the prophets, all his companions and his house, their heirs that guidance give and seek, in every pious human being and holy. My greetings light enfold all these. This week's short story is entitled Seeking. There once lived a man who had spent most of his adult life trying to become spiritually realized. With perseverance, he had followed the instructions of his mystical guide, at least as best as he understood her directives and counsels. Moreover, for nearly three decades, he had attended each and every mystical assembly, which was being held either in his town or in nearby town. He was conscientious, honest, sincere, and committed with respect to various mystical practices. In addition, he tried to help whomever he could, irrespective of whether or not such people were on the mystical path. Yet he had not tasted the fruits of mystical self-realization. There was no deep abiding joy in his life. His life lacked a sense of oneness with being. His heart was not overflowing with love. He was still trying to catch even a glimpse of his essential identity. He could not shake the feeling that somewhere, somehow, he was missing something of importance, and whatever it might be that he was not understanding was standing in the way of his fulfilling the unique purpose of his life. On many occasions he had gone to his spiritual guide with this problem. She always had counselled patience, that the mystical path was not a matter of storming the Bastille, but rather the doors of mystical perception tended to open of their own accord when the right combination of spiritual orientation, experience, humility, understanding, and readiness came into alignment, and even then only by the command of divinity. For some people, and God know best why this was so, this sort of alignment happened more quickly than others. All one could do was to politely keep knocking at the door, wait, and be ready to take advantage of opportunities if they should arise. She often told him that if he truly trusted God with this matter, God would not let him down. Sooner or later, and according to God's schedule, not his, he would be given what he needed to cross the threshold from the ordinary ways of worldly understanding to the extraordinary ways of mystical understanding. Although his spirits were lifted whenever he would come away from these sessions with his teacher, in time the sense of optimism and hope he felt on such occasions would dissipate. Soon he would find himself back in the same dark mood as before. He thought about his problem until he was sick of the whole issue. He desperately wanted to understand the nature of his difficulty, but to no avail. Frequently, when these somber moods descended upon him, He would go out for long walks. He found that walking both helped him put things in perspective as well as tired him out so he could sleep soundly without being restless with respect to his spiritual condition. One day when he returned home from work in the early evening, the weather was so pleasant he decided to go for a long walk. He would reflect on matters, see life in the city and get some exercise. As far as life in the city was concerned, the walk was relatively uneventful. However, he did feel he had made a few breakthroughs, minor though they might be, in relation to better understanding certain facets of his situation. Whenever these sorts of mini-revelations occurred, his spirits were buoyed. He would often softly hum songs to celebrate his small victories of insight and understanding. He was casually walking along, humming, when he saw a woman on her hands and knees crawling about from place to place beneath a light standard in the park. Presumably, she had lost something or other. Feeling in an expansive mood, the man decided to stop and see if there was anything he could do to be of assistance. When he reached the light pole, he asked, Are you looking for something? The woman looked up briefly at the man and then peered back at the ground, continuing on with what she had been doing. Finally, she said, I've lost my keys. Don't ask me how it happened, she said with a trace of embarrassment, but I've lost my keys. Would you like some help, the man offered. She looked at him again, this time with a certain weariness, and as she was about to say something, he held up his hand. The man explained, I understand the concern you may have, but if you will look around you, you will see there are a fair number of people in the park relatively close by, and consequently I think you are safe. The woman raised herself while still on her knees, so she became somewhat upright. She quickly surveyed the park and nodded her head in agreement. Smiling, the woman replied, Well, I I apologize for being cautious, but... In answer to your question yes i would like some help the man got down on his knees and began helping the woman look for her keys as he became engaged in the process of scouring the ground asked for a description of the keys the woman provided the information since the key chain being described was rather large with many keys and a few other small items on it he felt they ought to be able to locate the missing keys in short order As the search progressed, from time to time the man would ask various questions, as a way of breaking the silence as well as being friendly. At one point, after they had been searching for some time, he asked her, How long were you looking for these keys before I came along? The woman sighed. Quite a while. He replied, If you don't mind my asking, and just so that I don't duplicate what you already have done, What areas have you already checked and what sort of search pattern did you use? The woman filled him in on what had gone on before his arrival. After she finished, the man said, Well, apparently you have been thorough in everything, but it seems rather puzzling that you have taken all these steps and you still haven't found your keys, especially given how long you have been searching for them. He hesitated slightly and then continued. I... No, you said not to ask you about how you came to lose your keys, but maybe it might help the search if you were to tell me what happened. Remembering the touch of embarrassment accompanying the woman's earlier request for him not to ask how she had lost her keys, he quickly added, Even if the circumstances were somewhat foolish, I promise not to pass judgment. After all, we all do silly things which often land us in various predicaments. The woman appeared to be thinking about what he said as she moved about beneath the light standard. "'Well,' she eventually said, "'I was on the other side of the park. It was dark, and I was trying to get something out of my purse, but I couldn't see what I was doing. That part of the park is right near the street, and there was a lot of noise. I think the keys dropped out of my purse, but because of the noise, I didn't notice them dropping.' It was only when I got over here and began searching my purse in order to get them ready for unlocking my car that I noticed they were missing. The man stopped what he was doing and looked over at the woman. I- I'm sorry, he said. I must have misunderstood you. Did you say that you lost your keys on the other side of the park? Yes, she said rather shyly. Then why in God's name are you looking for them here, he inquired. In a manner which seemed to suggest everything made perfect sense, she retorted, because there's light here. There's no light over there in that area of the park. The man stood up, shaking his head in dismay. In other words, you have been wasting my time looking here for keys which are lost somewhere else just because there is light in this location? The woman rose as well from her kneeling position. She stared at the man somewhat defiantly and remarked, I don't think it is any more foolish for me to look for my lost keys here than it is for you to look for your lost soul beneath the light of reason, even though your soul will never be found through such means. She turned around and began walking in the direction of the other side of the park. As she went away, she looked back over her shoulder a few times. Each time she looked back, she seemed to look more and more like the man's teacher, and then she disappeared in the shadows. The following musical interlude is called Weightless. From high atop, the north face of Mount Everest, amidst the mysterious and majestic Himalayan mountain range, you are listening to the Sufi Reverberations Podcast. Today's meditative essay is titled, Jamal Jalal. All the names and attributes of God fall under either one or the other, of two broad qualitative ways of referring to divine manifestation. More specifically, divine manifestations are either qualities of, on the one hand, beauty, ease, mercy, forgiveness, love, joy, etc., or, on the other hand, majesty, transcendence, retribution, power, independence, incomparability, and so on. The term Jamal gives collective reference to the divine qualities of beauty, as well as to other qualities which are, in a sense, grouped with beauty. Generally speaking, however, all of these qualities are subsumed under the rubric of beauty. Consequently, whenever divine qualities of Jamal or beauty are being mentioned, tacit reference also is being made to all qualities which are grouped or associated with beauty. The series of qualities cited above in relation to beauty, for example, ease, intimacy, mercy, and so on, is meant to be suggestive rather than exhaustive. Similarly, the term Jalal encompasses all the divine qualities associated with majesty. Moreover, once again, as was the case with the designation of Jamal, the list of qualities associated with majesty in the foregoing, for example, transcendence, retribution, independence, and so on, are intended more as a sort of guiding hints rather than a definitive account. The divine qualities of Jamal, beauty, and Jalal, majesty, describe different aspects of the way God relates to human beings and creation. In fact, the fabric of our lives is woven between fibers drawn from both categories of quality in accordance with the design of divine will. Many of us tend to find the qualities of Jamal or beauty more agreeable than the qualities of Jalal. In other words, as far as our relationship with God is concerned, we, for example, would prefer ease rather than trials, forgiveness rather than retribution, joy rather than sadness, intimacy rather than distance, and so on. Yet according to practitioners of the Sufi path, Spiritual progress requires a mixture of both kinds of relationship. Indeed, one might liken the roles of Jamal and Jalal in the divine fashioning of human spirituality to a sort of forging process. For instance, through experiencing God's care, kindness, grace, compassion, forbearance, support, and so on, our hearts begin to soften in the warmth of the fires of love which God has kindled in our lives. God then sends trials, challenges, and hardships into our lives that become the hammer by which an anvil on which our softened, melted hearts are pounded to give the spiritual instrument strength and shape. After this, our hearts are plunged into the cooling waters of divine mercy. We are removed by God from the difficulties through which we were being tested and fashioned. Once again, God casts us into the intense heat of divine love, through manifold favors and blessings, our hearts respond and begin to melt. Nevertheless, due to arrogance and pride, we may soon find ourselves on the anvil of ingratitude and forgetfulness. We are pounded about by the hammer of humiliation and chastisement. The desire to repent arises in us. We cry out for the soothing waters of divine forgiveness. God answers our pleas. Eventually, if God wishes, the spiritual forging process is completed. Our spiritual potential has been realized by the way in which God has related to us through various combinations and sequences of divine qualities of Jamal and Jalal. These qualities do not necessarily have to alternate in order to achieve the divine purpose with respect to helping us to realize our spiritual potential. Sometimes God relates to us through compassionate severity, in which qualities of Jamal are being manifested more intensely than our qualities of Jalal, or on other occasions, God may relate to us through severe compassion, as qualities of majesty have ascendancy over qualities of beauty, although the latter qualities are active and present in various ways and degrees. God brings into our lives unique combinations of beauty and majesty in order to provide each of us with the best opportunities for, if God wishes, making spiritual progress and realizing our essential capacity and identity. Whether or not we are inclined to try to take advantage of these opportunities is up to us. Whatever the character of the events coming into our lives, Whatever ratio of Jamal and Jalal to which these events give expression, Sufi masters encourage us to remember that the events, both internal and external, of our lives are the media through which God is communicating with us. Moreover, this communication is not arbitrary, whimsical, or a game. According to practitioners of the Sufi path, we will not realize our true identity and essential capacity— until we have certain kinds of experience involving the majestic, rigorous, and severe dimensions of divinity. Experiencing only qualities of beauty will retard our spiritual development. Consequently, Sufi masters indicate we should not look at the events of our lives as being either good or bad. They are all manifestations of divine relationship which are intended to help us spiritually. We must come to recognize the presence of divinity in our lives irrespective of the disguise through which divinity appears. These manifestations may be pleasant and or painful, compassionate and or severe, forgiving and or exacting, expanding and or contracting, imminent and or transcendent, beautiful and or terrible, life-giving and or life-taking, and so on. The ups and downs of life mirror the presence of Jamal and Jalal in our lives. These experiences are God's way of introducing us to the many dimensions of ourselves and of divinity. Through these experiences we learn about various facets and stages of our relationship with divinity. Through these events, God helps us learn, among other things, about wisdom, justice, love, separation, ignorance, repentance, knowledge, light, doubt, darkness, guidance, forgiveness, jealousy, friendship, misguidance, enmity, courage, truth, sacrifice, worship, reality, creation, and identity. According to Sufi masters, human beings alone in all of creation have been given the capacity to reflectively manifest all of the names and attributes of God. This means we have the potential, each according to her or his or their capacity, to reflect an array of divine qualities of Jamal and Jalal. According to the Sufi masters, realizing the purpose of life involves coming to terms with the reality and significance of divine qualities of Jamal and Jalal in our daily lives. In other words, a spiritually successful life entails learning how to consciously utilize the qualities of Jamal and Jalal to which our lives give expression for the purpose of spiritual development and maturation. In addition, the practitioners of the Sufi path contend we attain to proper worship of God only as we come to experientially recognize, embrace and cherish the divine qualities of Jamal and Jalal present in the events of our lives as manifestations of one divinity. Moreover, Sufi masters indicate we only will experience the many as the one and the one as the many when we have fully realized our own essential capacity for reflecting divine qualities of Jamal and Jalal. You have been listening to the Sufi Reverberations podcast. I hope you will join me next week for a new episode of this program. May peace be your companion.